Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. First up, Project NX has finally gone public. There's been a lot of discussion and excitement around it. We were super happy that Jose Valim could come on the podcast and talk about what it is. At Lambda Days 2021, he finally released code online, and he also gave a presentation where he used live coding, kind of how to work with it. You can find it on GitHub under a separate Elixir NX GitHub organization, which gives it a, a place to grow and expand separate from the Elixir core. I'm really excited. What do you guys think? Definitely. Long time coming. This is the first time I remember being being teased by Jose for such a long time on such a pretty cool thing. You know, <laughs> uh, you, it's it's hard to forget things like a, a four thousand times bump in performance. You know, <laughs> yeah, I subscribed to the projects, and I, there's just been like so many emails coming in, <laughs> issues, pull requests, comments. So it seems like it's pretty active so far. So that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, I've been I've been noticing there's a lot of discussion happening around people coming in from outside the Elixir space from the general machine learning area and just kind of asking questions and showing interest. So that's yeah. really exciting. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Uh, also in the news, there's a proposal to add before suite callback to XUnit. Uh, and, and in case you didn't know, there's there's actually already an after suite callback. So if you wanted to run some code after your entire suite, so fixtures, for example, that's what I commonly see for for that kind of stuff. There hasn't been a callback for running code before your suite. Anyway, that's not done yet. It's just a proposal right now. But I thought that was pretty interesting, mostly because I, I guess I'm glad I don't have to use before suite callbacks. Uh, I remember them in, in some of my uh, RSpec tests and um, always being a little, a little upset that so much stuff has to happen before my, my test can even run. <laughs> uh, but I, I can imagine that's pretty helpful for some folks. So uh, heads up, that might be included in XUnit soon. Next up, Ziglang is now available for use on NERV's official platforms. This lets you write low-level NIFs more easily for NERV's devices. Nice. Gleamlang 0.14 was released. Um, a big deal here is uh, the, the, the big part of the update is that Gleam now generates valid type specs for your generated Erlang code. Uh, check out the release notes. It's pretty cool. Uh, just a reminder, you know, Gleam is is outputting the Erlang code, so you can see all your Gleam uh, turn into Erlang and, and read and learn a little bit more about Erlang that way too. It's beautifully formatted. It's a really well job, job done. The PromX library has officially left beta and released 1.0. It's a library that helps expose your application's metrics to Prometheus and Grafana for monitoring. Yeah, it includes some, uh, some nice plugins too for like Phoenix and uh, open if you're using that for job processing. So it's it's got some batteries included in there. So nice library. That's cool. Also up in the community space, there's a new podcast out there. It's called Beam Radio? Beam Radio? I mean, I'd call it Beam Radio. It's just a okay. play on the cool TLD. <laughs> <laughs> a good set of posts out there. I think um, if you have some more time in your day to listen to another podcast and you're looking for uh, an opportunity to learn more about the, the Beam in, in general, give them a shot. You might enjoy them. And Elixir LS version 0.10 was released. This includes features like the ability to detect unused macros, highlight already bound variables and patterns, and a huge 80% less memory usage. And I wow. was like, whoa, how did you guys do that? And they said it was because <laughs> in the Erlang LS project, 
they discovered that points of interest is something that's tracked. Those are tracked for dependencies and OTP itself, that they could instead be computed on demand instead of, you know, all at once and held onto the whole time. So that's a nice win. Oh, I love it. Yeah, Elixir LS and Erlang LS, learning things from each other. Nice. Speaking of improvements, OTP24 got a nice improvement. There's an algorithm change that makes floats to strings up to five times faster on OTP24. Yeah, what I thought was interesting about this is the speed ups are kind of like, you know, micro benchmarks. So I look forward to really seeing kind of what the day-to-day impact will be for these and like maybe production running systems because, you know, float to string, I'm not really sure how often that, you know, will come into play. I mean, I do that like every day. You don't do that all the time? Just kidding. Well, I, I mean, anytime you like render a float, it turns into a string, you know, with HTML. That's so true. it's happening That's there. True. And, and if, you're, if you're doing a really smart money tracking system, of course, you're translating uh, strings and floats. To, <laughs> to, to, <laughs> please don't actually do that. That's a terrible idea. Don't use but, floats. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't use floats for money. <laughs> um, another detail about that I thought was interesting. Um, this is actually a, an algorithm developed uh, out of Google, I believe, and it's called the Ryu algorithm. Um, for for doing this. Uh, so yeah, really nice. I, I think OTP24 is going to be one of those memorable releases. Um, you know, I think the JIT's in there too and got uh, several huge improvements. Um, the EEX template compilation and now this uh, float to string optimization. It's going to be a good release. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Specifically, like there's several, like you mentioned there, performance improvements, which is just like that it's like an optimization release. I know that's not the only stuff in here, but I'm just really excited to see that and just see you know, the net effect, both in performance of production systems, but also the developer experience, which is the, the tests for me. So awesome. Really looking forward to that one. And that's it for the news. Today's main segment is a little different. We were fortunate to be able to speak at Lambda Day's 2021 conference, where we recorded a live show and were able to take questions from a live audience. It was a lot of fun. Now, the Lambda Day's conference is a little bit different because it's not an Elixir conference but it is a functional programming-focused conference. So a number of different programming languages were represented. There was also a large segment focused on education and academia, so that made for some interesting discussions. Now, if you're interested in a more Elixir-focused talks and presentations, then you should definitely check out the next Elixir conference that's coming up really soon. It's Codebeam America, and it's held March 10th through the 12th. There's a great speaker lineup, and I'm really looking forward to the conference myself. Now, here's our live Thinking Elixir podcast session from Lambda Days. Well, thank you guys for coming. I am excited to be here. So this is a special live recording of the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we're happy to join you guys at Lambda Days. This is an interesting conference. You know, it's, it's a, one that covers academia and you know a lot of different languages so elixir is you know kind of what we tend to focus on in what in our work and in our consulting but you know it's really cool that there's a lot of different languages and perspectives represented here so thank you guys for coming so i see right now we got about 80 people here that are uh listening live and please uh use the q and a feature on the side uh for the lambda days you know interface the airmeet interface under Q&A, we'd love to hear some questions and just topic ideas that you guys would like to discuss. If there's anything that sounds interesting, maybe stuff that you've already been talking about, I would love to know for one, like, are there any of you who are here in this uh, session right now who are Elixir users or have been using Elixir? 
Yeah, it, to give you an idea, like, um, uh, so I've, I've been at the, the conference now. I've attended some of the talks. Um, I can give you a preview. Uh, you've actually already seen it, right? You, you are going to get an entirely different class of, of folks in discussion here. Um, none of us are professors or lecturers, uh, but some of us are teachers. A lot of us are uh, industry folks, you know, people that are committing code every single day, uh, working with clients, uh, trying to figure out the uh, pros and cons of uh, good solutions and okay solutions. And oh my gosh, we got to get this out the door solutions. We're primarily focused on Elixir. I do see that we're that some some of y'all on the feed are, you know, saying that you're 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 just starting Elixir, which is great. I'd be curious here. I'll put I'll put a question in the Q&A. You know, I I am working in Elixir now. Okay, so it's not really a question, um, but <laughs> if you wouldn't mind, if you're working in Elixir now, go ahead and upvote that uh, Q&A topic, and that, that way we can get an idea of like how many of y'all are out there. Because um, like Mark said, we know that this is a multi-language conference, which I love. It's going up. Wow. Nice. Yeah, that's, that's, that's more than I thought. That's pretty cool. One of the topics I think would be interesting is... Someone contacted me recently through the podcast and was saying, hey, do you have any resources for people who are completely new to programming? And Elixir is their first language. And what I think is super interesting about that idea is like, you know, I don't need actually know how to teach to that audience. And but I know like that's part of some of the discussions happening here at this conference is about education and about how uh, functional programming can happen in academia and, and like, you know, languages that are specific to academia that can be used as teaching tools. I am always interested in like, one, like, what do you guys think? Like, is there a, is there a market, uh, a place for us to try and help people who are new to programming and Elixir is their first thing? Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like, why is it that Elixir is people's second or third or fourth language? Why is it not the first? I, I guess maybe just because the first ones are the ones taught in school, maybe? Like, like I didn't learn Elixir in school. I learned C-sharp. <laughs> and that's not very common either, but... <laughs> Yeah, I I think that's got to be it. Is is what's taught in what's taught in schools or boot camps? Um, boot camps also tend to uh, choose some of the more popular ones based on like job openings. Uh, yeah. Uh, when I was in college, briefly, I doing the computer science thing. I never, I didn't graduate with computer science, but the 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 courses and the languages that they were teaching was C, and I'm pretty sure it was in VI because I distinctly remember I I could not backspace. I, I had no idea how to use VI and I'm sitting there trying to write code and I could not backspace. I could not figure it out. And so if I did a typo or messed up my logic or something, I basically had to start all over again. And once I finally got my solution in there, which was a simple while loop, I think uh, you printed it out on this dot matrix printer and you had the holes on the side, you had to, you had to tear them off. And that's what you handed into the teacher <laughs> to get to grade on. David, grade how on old you. are you? I didn't, I didn't realize you were like 50 or 60. <laughs> I don't know what it what it's like nowadays, um, but uh, I, I I have caught some hints that only a couple, like maybe one or two, maybe three colleges out there are actually teaching Elixir itself. That would be a first language for a lot of folks if that were you know taught in computer science courses. I think boot camps might be a different story though, and I'm curious what that's like. Um, boot camps that I was aware of, they only taught Python, or Ruby, and definitely JavaScript. They were much more web dev focused um, though. Yeah, I think the boot camps are very focused on the very hot frameworks and languages at the time, right? And I don't know if Elixir meets that description yet. Yeah, and I, I do think, you know, there is a 
a goal for boot camps where they are like, we want to get people into positions. And until there's more Elixir positions, it's like that chicken and the egg thing, you know, like, well, we would use Elixir if we could find more people. And well, we would teach Elixir as in the boot camps if there were more jobs, you know, it's just that yeah. that challenge. But yeah. uh, one of the things I want to kind of mention is just this idea of, you know, why are why is it that people are learning Elixir as their like third and fourth language? And really what I think it is, and I've kind of developed this idea as we've been talking with a lot of our guests on the interviews and everything with the podcast, which is, I think a lot of people have come to Elixir because they've been doing other things, right? They've, they followed the hotness, whatever it was, and they realized, you know, this just doesn't hold up well in production. I don't want to be on call. They've reached that level of maturity where they're like, I don't want to play, you know, these games, right? Like, I, I want something that's just going to like, I'm going to be able to write it, maintain it well, and it's going to stay and work well and stay up in production. So I think there's a lot of people who come because they're looking for the maturity of the Erlang beam and that infrastructure. So I don't know. What do you guys think? That's a good point. And I also just want to mention that the comments are distracting me. And I maybe <laughs> didn't hear 100% of everything that you were saying. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. I mean, that's that's what hooked me. There was there were several things that hooked me about about Elixir. Uh, Elixir is my first functional language that I, that I learned. Everything else was OO. There was two things that hooked me. It was uh, one, Beam. The Beam was, was really incredible. I didn't understand it. But the the promises of you know the the let it crash kind of philosophy like the 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 philosophy of how your application is supposed to be you know uh, running and maintained like you're supposed to deploy it crashes are going to occur for a variety of reasons and you can't you can't program that a hundred percent out right you're gonna have to live with it and so the platform of uh, the, the the OTP platform you know just really attacked that issue. I didn't know that. I mean, I, I understood that that was what that was supposed to do, but I didn't know how to appreciate that yet. The other thing that, that hooked me in was the, the more functional programming uh, paradigm, I think, uh, or more common at least, is, is immutability. It seemed like a lot of the bugs that I was always messing with in, in other stacks was, was like, well, there's just unintentional mutation of some variable somewhere, some record somewhere. And it's very hard to debug that. At least I thought so. Mm. And uh, coming to Elixir, being functional, now you can see exactly everything that is you know, being reassigned. You can see the code flow a little bit easier, in my opinion. I could understand that, and I could see exactly what was going on. Like I, I could trace the, the data through the code. I just fell in love with it at that point. It took me, I don't know, maybe another year to actually appreciate like, uh, OTP itself. As, as I learned more Elixir, more about OTP... I could expand outside of my current realm of knowledge of just Ruby, you know, stuff and uh, start stretching my mind towards these new concepts like OTP and understand like what they're used for, when to use them, uh, that sort of thing. I got to bring this up that so there's a comment in here is like Elixir entered the TOB, TOB top 50 list today. Do we, want, yeah. do we want to talk about that? <laughs> so we recorded the news ahead of time, but that, that will go out in the, in the next episode of the podcast. And so we were talking about that, that, that Tyobi index and, you know, it came in at number 48. Uh, so it's the top 50. So it's really cool. Uh, and then we were also just kind of like, you know, thinking about like, when you look at some of the other languages in there, uh, you know, if you notice like visual basic classic, like that's pre.net, it has jumped up, you know, it's like, oh, if I look at this index as a measure of what I should be using, uh, for my team, for new projects, for the company, then this is not a useful index for that. 
right? And so, yay, we're there at point twenty two percent. Right. So how can we how can we like poll the audience? Can we can we can we create like five questions like one out of five? How do you how do you view the this yeah. index? About <laughs> the right number <laughs> is, is this important to you? Yeah, I, yeah. I don't even see Erling on here, but it is in the next fifty. So yeah. Um, yeah so in the top 100 i guess yeah uh f sharp is in there as well let's see i know haskell has got some representation there it is number 44 so what i think is interesting is people do give that some level of credibility right they, sure. they and you know if nothing else they think like okay it has some measure of recognition <laughs> you know but <laughs> yeah you know powershell is in there yep it's great yeah, you're right, Robert. Excel formula is number one, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least they're, you know, immutable pure, pure functions. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to wonder, like, what, who's going to be paying attention to that? You know, what, what is that? Who is, who's creating this, this list? Who are they creating it for? Let me, let me reframe here. So the opening keynote was, you know, academia versus everything else, right? Um, so academia being one thing, everything else being another one. I'm, I'm certainly paraphrasing and I'm, I'm butchering it. I am sure of it, but I have to think that like everything else is the popularity kind of contest kind of stuff. Right. I, I know that JavaScript is going to be used everywhere. Um, I know that C is like universal in anything that's computer with chips. Right. And it's going to run and, uh, and compile down to assembly for that kind of stuff. Like, I know that stuff's going to happen, but I still got to think that like, it's going to be the population, the general pop of programmers that are going to, that are going to be most influenced by lists like this. I got to wonder sometimes like, is Elixir's popularity because it, it tends to bridge that gap between like the academic view of what, of how programming languages should be designed and what they can achieve and then extending a hand over to the gen pop of programmers. I mean, what do you think? This kind of goes along with, in the Q&A, uh, Jake asks, uh, you know, saying Elixir is very different from other prominent FP languages and asks if we have an opinion on that. And mm. so I will say, you know, like David already said it, you know, that Elixir is his first functional language and it's it's also mine. Um, you know, I started with uh, procedural languages with Quick Basic back in the day in DOS, right? And then I later went on to, you know, I, I see, you know, in the, in the chat, people were talking about their, their kind of pedigree of like how they came up through things. And yeah, I went through like Pascal, which was uh, Delphi at the time, Object Pascal. You know, so like I came up through that whole OO perspective too. But then, you know, like there was things like React, which brought the functional approach and like the whole idea of actions and this is like the functional reactive model. And I saw a lot of value in that. And just it, because like it did solve a lot of those problems where you have those state management issues, right? Where you have the big blob of complex nested state and it's getting passed around by reference and modified somewhere. And now you have a bug and you don't know why it's this way. And it just solves a lot of that for me. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> React is a gateway drug to FP. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think nice. it's how do I compare Elixir to other FP languages? I, I really can't. Uh, you know, I played a little bit with Elm, uh, which is Haskell-based when it first came out and was very popular. And, you know, it's a very uh, strong static type. And you have a lot of affordances with that static typing. Um, but I also came, you know, I've worked with static languages. I've worked with dynamic languages. Right now, I just, I really like the dynamic language aspect. I do a lot of, you know, testing and I use Dialyzer for some of my 
protections and guarantees, but you know, it's still, I know it's not the same as static typing, but I don't know. What do you guys think? I remember my first experience with Elixir. And I mean, I also had done some Elm and a little bit of Haskell just to kind of, somebody once told me that Haskell was the most pure functional programming language. You've got to try it to know what that means. Like, okay. So I tried it. And so when I first tried Elixir, I remember being surprised at how it wasn't as difficult as Haskell and Elm, you know, not having any understanding of functional programming. I was like, okay, like I can set variables. I can kind of, I can loop through things. Like it's, it kind of feels normal. It's still functional, but it's like more normal to my uninitiated brain in functional <laughs> programming. And like, I felt like it was a lot easier to get into. Did you guys feel like that when you tried it? Yeah, I definitely. It was approachable. Uh, that's that's what I'll call it. Um, but I'm I'm not somebody that came from computer science. Like, well, the, neither am know, I. Like the academics, right? Okay, so we share that in common then, <laughs> right? So maybe that's why it appealed to to us. I just remember in Haskell, I was like, I can, like, how do I how do I even do anything? Like, this is so hard. <laughs> and that's one of the things I really like about Elixir is you you get a lot of those things like a, a with statement has a lot of the features, as I understand it, of a monad. Uh, but I don't have to understand what that means or is, and I can still get the benefits of it. I, I think some, sometimes it's it's easy to forget that programming for a lot of folks is also an emotional output, right? It, it's, a, it's also a creative side and not, and not exactly in, you know, entirely mathematical proofs and stuff like that. Like, you, of course, you need that science in there. You need those academics to prove that your program is 100% correct. And I really, really appreciate that. I, I need that to have confidence in the, in the language that I'm writing with. But when you're building a product or something that does something for you, <laughs> there's an element of emotion in there that you can't remove because there are people writing these, these programs, right? And you're sharing that code with other people. I think there's a, there's, there's a pendulum there, right? You, you've got purely academic and fun, uh, purely academic uh, languages. I, I'm not even sure what to classify in there. And then you have the purely fun uh, languages in there. I'm going to put Rockstar in there for sure, because we're going to be talking. The, the, this conference has got some Rockstar in there, I think, and uh, which is so fun. I love the idea of it. It's so fun. But that's like so emotional. Like you're not you're probably not going to run your web server off of what Rockstar. Right. Uh, and I think that uh, the success of things like like JavaScript, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of elements to, to the success of JavaScript. One being that it's the only language available in, in, in web browsers. Um, but also like, uh, that's, that's where I think that Elixir ex excels is, is that it, it is a good balance between academic proofs and correctness in your, in your program and your language borrowed a lot from, from Erlang, uh, actually a lot from really a lot from Erlang. <laughs> Along with the the pleasure and the emotional response that a lot of folks get out of uh, more, uh, I mean, they lean dynamic. I think like I came from from Ruby, a lot more emotional side. I think uh, languages where you get those those dopamine hits when your when your program works, you know, and, and and you can see the output, even though you know there's like thirty bugs in it, but at least it works in this scenario, <laughs> and then you can work on getting those bugs out. But you get those are little dopamine hits that I think that are really important to like the individual programmer that's that's writing the code. You got to have some sort of elements of success in there to continue with your efforts. 
that's where I think like programming as it is an emotional output as well as like, you know, the correctness, of course, and, and that it does what it's supposed to do. I, I agree. You know, like uh, right now I'm helping uh, train someone who's newer, very new to Elixir. Their actual first real programming language exposure was through Elm. Uh, so they started FP, right? Which is... Wow. It, yeah. Just dove right in. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but now they're they're doing Elixir. And so I'm, I'm doing some consulting and helping kind of train this person. But one of the things I think is interesting is this perspective of... I was like, okay, so what are some of your interests? What are some of the things you care about that you're passionate about? And and like food, right? This person loves food. <laughs> so like, all right, food. we're going to make a live view app that is a little food tracker where you can favorite things and mark things is like, I want I'm looking forward to trying this. And you can give, you know, give descriptions and tag it as, as certain ethnicities and whatever. Right. But it's like, I think Elixir, just because of its dynamic nature, I can very quickly build up a, a something that is uh, like a functional reactive. Uh, I have a live view. So it's set up as a pedal stack. Right. And so it's like we're using Pedal being Phoenix, Elixir, Tailwind, CSS, Alpine JS, and LiveView. So, like with the Tailwind UI, you know, we're like make it pretty from the beginning. And it's like you just like okay, we're gonna make it pretty, and now we're gonna actually play with it. But it's like you're able to jump into something that you care about, right? That's important to you. And like I have an interest in this, and then so now now it's because it's not just academic. It's like oh, this is my personal interest. I can now mm -hmm. oh well, what if I want to make this multi-user? Oh, and well, how would I do that? Oh, what if I want to you know add this feature and, and I need to add a, add a migration and go through the whole change set process? And so it's a great way to like study the whole stack. I think it's important to realize you know uh, Elixir's popularity really exists right now in the web space. You know yeah. with Nerves, yep. there's IoT, uh, but really the main popularity portion is in web. I think that's that's important to note, though. Like Elixir does have several legs, and I think we're about to get another another leg. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Phoenix being a, a, a big part of that. So that's a lot of web dev developers. Fit Nerves get, captures the IoT audience. I think there's also uh, it's a s smaller leg, um, but there is Scenic UI. Scenic UI being uh, the OpenGL powered like desktop rendering kind of stuff, and that works on both Nerves uh, Raspberry Pi devices. Uh, so like it, it leans into IoT a bit and uh, uh, well, just general desktop programming. But it's not quite like cross-platform widget compatible. It's it's all OpenGL, so it's like you have to have a certain screen size, right? Uh, it's not not like your standard Electron app, for example. I won't spoil it, but if you've listened to our podcast, you've already known, you, you already know that there's another big leg that's coming up that uh, Jose Valim is going to be talking about tomorrow, I believe, at yep. the conference. Um, so it, there's another leg coming in there. Um, so definitely, if you're interested in, in... Well, go ahead and spoil it. You can you can say what it's about. We've already talked about it. It's already been released. Okay. Well, here's the spoiler that it's, it's about machines and it's about how they can learn. Um, and that's all I'll say. <laughs> I'll leave the rest of the content to to Jose Valim. Yeah, I think that's going to capture a lot of, a lot of different use cases for different developers, right? They they have something that they, they want to do, they want to accomplish, and this tool set um, uh, enabled by Elixir uh, can spread out to all those different use cases. You know, which is which is great. I want to come back to you know something that Yusuf uh, that you said. Like, I'll, I'll quote you: um, "The really powerful abstractions can be tough to use." Should we be looking to keep them at a lower level, for example, DSLs, translators, compilers, and only expose their power through controlled abstractions like the Elixir language? I think that's interesting. So we, we mentioned Phoenix. Phoenix is a huge part of, of Elixir, um, and it caters to the web development crowd. And Elixir is a, is a fine example of ease of use 
done really, really, really smartly. <laughs> like it, it's leveraging a lot of the good parts of OTP. It's leveraging a lot of the uh, features of Elixir, like macros, to generate a pleasing DSL. And it does. I mean, heck, to me, it doesn't even feel like a DSL. That's that's how good it is, in in my opinion. It doesn't feel like a DSL. I've used DSLs in other languages, and I know that I'm I'm essentially learning a different language at that point, a language within a language. With Phoenix, it doesn't quite feel like that, which I think is is worth noting, at least to me. Maybe that's just how I used to, to it I am now. But that is a great use of DSLs and leveraging compile uh, compiler features of, of Elixir to make things just work and just work really, really well without sacrificing or leaving behind some of the great features of things like OTP. There's other features out there too. Um, CLDR being another one that uses a lot of uh, lots of tricks with uh, Elixir, the Elixir compiler to only compile the, the things that you need. Uh, for example, CLDR being the localization library, right? So if you only have English and Fran uh, French languages, you only get that stuff. You don't get the whole package of all the languages and locales and all that kind of stuff. Here's a really good question: What are the benefits of Elixir outside of distributed systems? So what I think is fun with that question is. You know, so Elixir, let's, let's go back to Erlang, right? We talked about this recently on a podcast episode, but the, the idea that, fun, that languages, computer programming languages are created to solve specific problems. That's like, I'm like Fortran, right? I, I'm trying to solve this problem. And, you know, Julia, like it's a modern language about, around machine learning. It's like, I'm trying to solve this problem, right? So they're designed for specific situations. And, you know, those languages that are truly like general, they don't really necessarily excel at any one of those. But Elixir, Erlang from its roots, was created to solve the problem of, I need a system that can be resilient, that can cannot go down. Like if it's for telecom switches, right? So if, if we have a problem with one call, that call crashing and taking, you know, collapsing and should not take down the switch. It should not take down any other calls. So it was built with that in mind. That was the problem they're trying to solve. So as part of that, they created concurrency and they created you know this uh, this uh, processes and isolation and all of those things came out as part of that solution so when you say you know yes elixir does great at uh, distributed computing but really you can get a lot of the benefits of resilience on a single node with where it's no, you're not even dealing with distribution yeah i think i think you're right i think there's a lot like just speaking about Erlang and OTP, the stuff that because you know Elixir has all that stuff built in, you can you can reach out and and use any of that stuff at any time from Erlang in Elixir. And there's a lot more to OTP than just distributed systems, I guess. Um, I mean, for example, there's like two HTTP libraries in Erlang, right? That you can use. <laughs> I don't know if you want to, like, but sometimes sometimes I'm just in the mood, like I don't want to add another install another dependency. And one of those HTTP libraries, I had to look it up every time because it's a little weird, but I can just make an HTTP call really quick without really having to install anything if it's just a little app I'm making. There's a lot of stuff there. There's a lot of community, a lot of maturity there for you to utilize, um, which is really cool in a brand new language, right? Yeah. One of the things I think I just kind of want to point out is with the processes and this, the idea of supervision trees, right? When I started to learn about OTP, and I was like, oh, that is killer. That is incredible. I want that for my systems. And, you know, even though I started building web applications and stuff, and I really wasn't even doing much directly with OTP, you know, the frameworks themselves are built using that. So I'm, I'm inheriting that stability. Right. 
Something I don't want to forget about Elixir, I think that's pretty uh, unique about Elixir and benefits to newbies of, of Elixir, uh, is that the tooling around it is pretty incredible. And I think unique, you know, um, Mix, I'll just Mix is the tool and Mix does nearly everything that you want to do with, with the, the language. Uh, do you want to install packages? Use Mix. Do you want to uh, go grab the dependencies? Use Mix. Do you want to compile the project? You use Mix. You know, do you do you want to start a new project? You use Mix. Like Mix is everywhere mm-hmm. in there. It's one consolidated, very well thought out tool for managing your Elixir projects. In in a lot of other languages and other ecosystems. It's almost never just the language. You have to learn the ecosystem around it too. And it can get confusing because, you know, in your head you have like, I just want to learn X language and I just want to get something printed on the screen. Hello world. Well, now you got to go get the compiler. You got to make sure it's the right version of things. And now you have to go, maybe there's a package where you want to like color the screen or something and, and green instead of just the, the default colors. So that that's not built in. So now I got to go get a package. Uh, oh, that turns out that uh, now I got to go install something else, which is the package manager to go talk to the, the package repository, you know, all that kind of stuff. It ends up, there's a lot of, lots of little things to get you there. A lot of little roadblocks, easy roadblocks. But lots of little roadblocks. And Elixir uniquely, in my opinion, has some of the best tooling out there for developers to get their project running and started and managed. Managed is the word I'm, I'm looking for there. I think Mix does a great job of managing your project. It's not the same for other ecosystems. Uh, I haven't used a lot, a lot of other ecosystems, so maybe there's something out there that's a, that's better than a mix. And if so, I'd love to hear about it. Um, please drop that in the notes, and I'd love to look at it and see what we can borrow. Um, but that's a big deal. You know, the the barrier to entry is very low, I think, for Elixir, and I think that's um, that's going to be important for folks that are learning programming. Uh, just now learning programming, right? And Elixir would be their first language. Mix is going to be a, a godsend for them. I think that's a, a good point to make. You know, that one of the strengths that really helped Elixir become successful over Erlang, Elixir is just built on top of Erlang, right? What Elixir really helped bring was developer friendliness, accessibility, mix tooling, IDE tooling. You know, it's all those, you know, integrated testing, all those things really help with developer productivity and happiness. Package manager mix, you know, being an important aspect of that too. You know, and a lot of those things have now come over into Erlang as well, which is great. I, I love the the cross pollination there. Yeah, I, I want to just mention the thing you said about testing. Like I feel like the folks behind a lot of the contributions in the community are really good at the testing story. And more so than any other frameworks and languages I've used, testing is always there. It's always a hundred percent. It's always easy to do. It's fast. Um, just to give an example, LiveView, which is earlier I said that Elixir was a brand new language, but to be fair, like it just had its 10 year anniversary. So I don't know. I mean, maybe compared <laughs> to others, it is, it is still newer, but it, it's, it's not a baby and like, it's not one year old. Anyways, but LiveView is brand new. It's maybe a year and a half old at this point. But when it came, when it was released, um, it was released with a testing story. Like it, the tests were fully there. All the test helpers were there, plugged into the whole testing scenario story that Elixir already had. I think that is super helpful. Um, just their focus on the testing and helping us developers keep our quality up. You're right. I mentioned mix and I failed to even mention mix tests. Shame on me. But yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a huge part of it. 
Yeah, I agree. The testing story is is excellent with with Elixir and functional programming in, in general with the mutability. You can yeah, it, it's it's oh yeah, I think a lot better. Yeah, and I think one of the things that you know uh, Elixir has a lot of its heritage, like the syntax was heavily borrowed from and inspired by Ruby. And Jose Valiman mostly come out of Ruby community prior to that. I came from the Ruby community myself. David says he did too. Yep. From that community, we brought along with us this idea and love of testing. I'm really happy that we have that and it's still been valued. Yeah. Tying back to like getting those first successes, like I didn't start with Ruby. I started a long time with Ruby. That was the first language I actually stuck with. I actually started with Java and Visual Basic, Visual Basic <laughs> Classic, you know, which is more popular <laughs> as we now know from yeah, the TOB yeah, index. Yeah. Maybe I should reinvest my time in Visual Basic Classic. <laughs> But I actually started there, uh, and you know maybe it's just time of my life thing, and nothing wasn't any, nothing would would have stuck, you know, just because of how young and dumb I was. But um, but I started with with Java, and I started with uh, Visual Basic, and those things just didn't stick with me. And and, and I want to say that it was because I can't know exactly how I was feeling now, you know, as ten years later. But I want to say that it was because it, it didn't give me those early successes, you know, I was able to get some, something shipped. I was able to, to be satisfied with that, but it didn't give me the pleasure that I was hoping for, um, out of, uh, out of making those little applications. And it wasn't until a incredibly dynamic language, you know, Ruby with, you know, all the, all the foot guns that comes with it, that it actually stuck with me and gave me that emotional response that I was, ho- I was looking for out of, uh, out of my, my job, you know? <laughs> And now combining that with functional programming and immutability with with Elixir and the excellent tool set like Mix, I just I can't see myself going anywhere else until things you know are better than than that. <laughs> and there's some things that I miss though, like type systems. I do miss that. I do wish that we had some better story you know around that. But dialyzer, I know it gets a lot of gets a lot of flack, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I'm good enough with it. Yeah, I know it's not perfect, right? I did want to come back to uh, kind of our discussion about Elixir offering something over distributed, you know, other than the distribution story. And so the point I was going to make is with supervisors and processes in isolation, because another question was kind of talking about uh, running in production and in operations. So the idea is, if I have, you know, most most of the web runs out of Linux containers, right? That's kind of like the standard. I had things like system D at the operating system level that help keep my my application up and running. So if it's if it if my app crashes, it will restart my app. And there are other things in other languages, other frameworks that help keep like a node server, you know, help keep it up because it will crash at some point. So what processes and isolation and supervisors let you do is it moves that control of being able to restart something down to the closest area and you design where that is. You say, oh, I know this is an important area and this could this could crash. Yeah. You can isolate and say, if this crashes, because it probably will at some point, then I can restart just that little piece of the system and everything else keeps going along with however it's running with its state and everything's smooth. So like there's huge benefits to doing that. And that's has nothing to do with distribution. That's true. All right, uh, Julian, you got a question here. I'll, I'll read it out loud here. It's like, what do you think about using LiveView to teach Elixir without installing it? For example, code editor in the view, running code on the server, unit tests, watch people code as the teacher, etc. A colleague did that, and it was excellent. Be careful with code.stringeval. Yeah, any, any string evals, <laughs> be careful with that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that 
I, you said it right there. You know, the, the fact that you can you can make that with tooling, um, you know, in, in the language itself, like with LiveView via LiveView. I've done this in a couple of different ways, not quite to the effect of like teaching uh, teaching Elixir, but like streaming and evaluating code is safely in the in the server side, you know, from input that's given to to me in the front end. That's extremely cool, and I I want to say there's actually products out there that currently do this, and yeah, but using it to teach Elixir without installing it, like that's pretty cool. Anything to keep yeah. the barrier of entry down, you know, is is good news, and and if that means that there's a website that you can visit to run any code, there, the, I see that as a trend for a lot of languages, you know, to try out Rust or Haskell or something, and it's just a little REPL right there in the screen on on the web page. I've not had to install anything. That's good news. I know that gets much more complicated when you start getting packages involved, though. And that's where, you know, if, if you wanted to teach LiveView through that REPL experience, that could be more difficult. But that's difficult for the app, you know, the app uh, provider to do. Not, you know, not saying that it's impossible, but I think that would be I think that would be pretty incredible. There's a lot of that kind of stuff out now for like JavaScript, right? You specify the packages and CSS that you want and you got that little code snippet was, you know, that and that renders it right there. That's all server. That's all. Uh, excuse me. That's all client side. If we can get to that level with any other backend language, that's incredible as a teaching tool. Barrier of entry is real low at that point. I don't know. I, isn't it fun to like spend the first week figuring out how to get it running? <laughs> isn't that like what solidifies? I, I prefer getting something to succeed and then explaining why it succeeded <laughs> as far as like a teaching method. But that's just me. I, I think that's interesting. Like I've been thinking about that. Like when you think of teaching someone something, you know, as a first language, I think it's challenging. Like what assumptions can you make? You know, like in a classroom setting, you know, uh, you, you might have to help everyone get set up with something or I don't know. I don't know how, how, they, how they learn all that. Can I safely assume they're running Mac OS or, or do I have to assume Windows? Do I assume they know anything about Git? Do they know about HTML? Do they know about CSS? Do they know anything about JavaScript? When you think about the web, you start talking about this whole stack of technologies that we're depending on and building on. And it can be a little daunting, right? So like, I think there's some value in uh, in classroom settings being much more controlled. Yeah, there's like, there's no quicker way to get those half of the CS 101 students to bail <laughs> on the major than like spending the first week trying to install something, right? Like, you've made zero progress, like... <laughs> Is this what is this what computer scientists do all day? Is they just try to install stuff? I don't want to do this. <laughs> you should throw them in Vim first and see see how that goes. Yeah. Oh, and you have to do it in Vim. Yeah. <laughs> Circling back a little bit, um, I think there was a there was an interesting security case that just came out um, around package managers and just grabbing stuff from the web. And there was a incident, I think, um, between how the package managers were handling private versus public packages. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Have you heard of that, sure. about this? No. No? Uh, okay. So the, the short version is somebody found out. Okay. So let's just, I'll just, I'll use Ruby gems because I think that was one of the, uh, one of the affected ones. So you have the public Ruby gems repository. You also have a bunch of private ones out there and Ruby gems, it will, 
fall back onto the okay I'm, i might be butchering this too so forgive me if i'm getting some things <laughs> wrong here but the ruby gems will fall back onto the public repository if it can't find the package you're asking for in a private one first right so if, if you have that stuff configured so if somehow you have uh, uh if you find out what the name of a private package is and then you publish a newer version of it in a public repository, mm. you fool the the package uh, manager into downloading the wrong one, right? And that was the exploit. I confirmed this mm. with the uh, with Voitech Mock, by the way, on the Elixir side, with uh, who's on the Hex team, which is our package manager in Elixir. We don't have that issue, so we're we're safe <laughs> from that. Um, it's explicit. There is no fallbacks there. You have to specify the repo to e- exactly, you know, where to get this this package. And while running that, like if you don't define any uh, any params on it, like if you just want to say give me this package, it def- it will use the uh the hex repository. That's the default. But if you have like a private repo with your package on there, it will only ever pull from the private one. And you can provide more uh, parameters too to specify Git hashes, uh, branches, which will be the latest you know commit on those branches. Uh, but all that stuff is also locked um, too after you get it, so everyone pulls the same version. So like, there's a lot of good controls. It's smart. <laughs> there's a lot of lessons learned and uh, lessons fixed in in the Elixir uh, package manager. You know, which is uh, Hex is the repository for it, but Mix is the package manager for it. So I thought that was interesting because like, yeah, as a system engineer, I see this in the in the comments here. As a system engineer, uh, downloading uh, the internet packages is usually a, uh, uh, I got to verify that first. You know, <laughs> I need to have better controls around that. And I have to admit, like, I've, I've always been impressed with the the security models that we have in the, um, uh, in the Elixir community. And that extends to a lot of things like the language itself, Hex, the package manager, most of the patterns that I see on uh, popular libraries. They don't give you a lot of foot guns to hurt yourself with, uh, which is excellent. Anyway, so I thought that was worth worth mentioning. Is like, yeah, you have complete control over it, but you still have that ease of use, uh, which I find interesting. Also, just want to mention, like coming up in Elixir is like the ability to in in a single script to install those packages. Uh, so you have one file, and you can go dynamically go grab those packages that you want, and then immediately run it there in your single file script. So I thought that was pretty cool. It doesn't require that whole project setup around it. I like that uh, the phrase you'd foot guns. I've have never yeah yeah I've never <laughs> seen a foot gun. Like what does a foot gun look like? Is it like you aim straight and then at the end it points straight down at your foot? Or like... <laughs> no, it's it's when you're you just fired your good shot, you know, and then you put your gun into your holster and then you fire at your 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 your, your foot as well. You've hurt yourself. I see. That's not a gun yeah. made for firing at feet. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I didn't know. I'd have to, exp- have to expound on what that means today. I mean, I know what shooting yourself at the foot means, but just not a foot gun. But, oh, gotcha. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> Anyways, we're coming up on uh, five minutes. Yeah, we got five any, minutes. Any last minute words of wisdom? Yeah, I, I don't know. So I, I realized in this particular audience, um, there's a lot of people who are here for Lambda Days, which is a much more general conference, right? But it's all functional, which I think is awesome. I think there's a lot of value. And I think, you know, these the attendees here, they understand that. They get the idea that there is a lot of value in functional programming. A lot more than just, you know, even just than, than having static types, uh, but just that we can do much more. Whole classes of bugs in OOP, like we were talking about with state management, they just go away. So I love the idea of just helping people discover their love for functional programming. 
And I love that we with Elixir, we have like the developer tooling, we have the, you know, the the experience that we can help bring it to people. And like with things like Live View, assuming they have, you know, some of those basic foundations, like I I know what HTML is and I, you know, I, I can do some basic things with that, then they can start building stuff that is meaningful for them that they can play with and they can see it and they can, you know, have reactive interfaces with Live View. I, I realize, you know, people can say, well, you know, Elixir is not truly a functional language. Um, I've, I've heard that before. It's like, well, maybe not. You know, you have state, you have processes, you have side effects. But, you know, it's like, darn it, it's good enough for me. And it, it's a whole <laughs> lot better than what I had before. <laughs> yeah, let's not, let's not talk about variable hygiene and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's those are good tools for the folks that need them, but it's it's not it's deep down in the depth, so you have to know exactly what you need <laughs> in order to get to, to to those points. Well, I know tomorrow we are super excited to hear what Jose is going to share. He's so he came on our podcast, sure. and that episode was just released previously, and he talked about Project NX. And I'm just going to spoil it. David was not going to say anything about it, but it's about, you know, Elixir moving into and starting to step into the machine learning space. And so I'm really excited to see what he has to say tomorrow, where he's going to be showing code and how this can hook up and, you know, starting out by being able to hook up to Google's XLA engine and targeting... TensorFlow. TensorFlow, yes, as the first target. But what I think is super important and really valuable there is that the back end compiler, like the, the which which compiler it's targeting, like the XLA compiler for TensorFlow, is swap outable, right? So we can leverage other uh, machine learning compilers that are existing in, in and being developed actively. So I think it's awesome. I'm really excited to see right. that. I'm excited to see what he has to say. That'll be exciting because I, you know, I don't do a lot of AI and machine learning, but I hear the TensorFlow isn't people's favorite necessarily. So it's mm-hmm. cool that it can kind of be swapped out. And he also said he's going to be open sourcing the code after his talk too. So yes, we'll we'll be able to actually <laughs> use it and try it out soon ourselves. So if yeah. that's a, something that interests any of you conference goers, make sure to check out his his session. And for you, uh, dear listener, who's hearing this as a, a podcast form, you know, you, uh, hopefully. The sessions will be uh, released soon after the conference. I'm not sure exactly what the schedule is, but we will certainly let you know on our podcast when that is. So anything else you guys want to say before we close? I'm excited. Uh, we talked about usability a lot with Elixir, and, and I'm curious to how, how that is going to affect the machine learning stuff with Project NX. Uh, to, to me, you know, machine learning is a little bit out of my reach. So I'm curious uh, how we're going to make that uh, a little bit more consumable, I guess, for the for the for the dummies like me, <laughs> if 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 it can be, you know, it, it's a complicated subject, but I'm I'm very excited about it. Well, I think we are up to time. So thank you guys for coming and hanging out with us. That was our Lambda Days live session. If you are missing the whole tech conference scene and a U.S. based conference fits better with your schedule, then look into CodeBeam America. It's March 10th through the 12th, which is really soon. So make sure to check it out. A link is included in the show notes. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. And we hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.